0: Um, happy to be here to to teach and bring God's word to us. So, if you have your Bible, please turn with us to James one verses twenty six to twenty seven. Find on page one thousand and eleven in the Bibles in front of you. Again, James one verses twenty six and twenty seven. Well, tonight we'll be concluding our series in James one. But before we dig into the text, let's go to the word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, just thank you for, for who you are, Lord, for never changing Lord, for being sufficient for all of our needs. I pray that as I present the, your message, Lord, that you would speak through me, um, that we'd be encouraged and edified as a congregation. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So, if you were asked how Christians worship their God, what would you say? Would you say Christians go to church? sing songs, read their Bible, anything else? While these things are good, we'll see in our text tonight, James seems to think God wants something more. Let's read our text for tonight, starting in verses 26. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So our big, ide- our, bi- our big idea for tonight is this. Pure religion before God is seen in all we say and all we do. Pure religion before God is seen in all we say and all we do. Well, to start off, I think it would be helpful to know what religion is. merriam Webster defines religion as the belief in and worship of a superhuman controlling power, especially a personal god or gods. The first question I have from this is, what makes something worthy to be worshipped? In America, we worship sports, wealth, beauty, fame, etc. Last week's sermon, Kelton brought us the message from Judges 17 and 18, where Micah made idols from silver that was ultimately meant for God. We can worship anything and make anything an idol, but that is not true religion. True religion is foundationally the response of humans to God. Do we turn to God or away from him? Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth and will save all those who call upon his name for forgiveness. Know that Jesus willingly died on the cross to take away every sin you have committed or will commit. Jesus alone is able to to save, and he is sufficient for everyone, even the person who has committed the most egregious sins. So our two main points for tonight are point number one, which is pure religion before God is seen in all we say, and point number two, Pure religion before God is seen in all we do. Our first first point tonight is, Pure religion before God is seen in all we say. So the word religion or religious shows up in our text three times tonight. The Greek word James uses for religion is threskos. It is only used four times in the entire Bible. Twice here, once in Acts 26, and once in Colossians 2. Threskos means ceremonial public worship, rituals, or routines. The rest of can be better grasped if we understand it is different from Eusubia. Eusubia means godliness, and that's talking about the heart. So if someone thinks himself to be religious, in the sense that he's carrying all these religious acts or formalities, this person is deceived to think their religion is worthless. Do you see this? Our religion, without a heart that is actually being sanctified, reveals that the religion is useless. Jesus in Matthew 12, 34 says... For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If we primarily speak deceit or evil things, we reveal that our heart is not of the Lord. Professing religion and having an uncontrollable tongue is a way of deceiving oneself. The average person, get ready for this, speaks 16,000 words a day. 16,000. That's a lot of words to speak. That's enough to make a 45-page book per day. Personally, I know that I would not want to have that book Stored in the Library of Congress for all all to read. Can you imagine people reading the book titled The Memoirs of Grant Benton, The Supposed Life of a Christian? The words you wish you could take back, the words you wish never said. But it's one thing if you're representing yourself, it's an entirely different thing if you're representing a person in a position of authority, and more importantly, God. Just think of the consequences. If you, as an ambassador of the U.S. government, go to another country, Representing the US and flippantly say vulgar, demeaning, inappropriate things. The words you use are what is the country perceives as what the US government is saying about them. I, so, a story. So, I, along with a couple of friends, went to the beach a couple of weeks ago and got on the topic of marriage. While we were driving down there, after a few different thoughts were thrown around about marriage and about once you're married, you're married for life because it's a contract you made between two people, this person who is telling this most Letting the thoughts be known, wasn't a Christian. I was then asked if having an affair was really a bad thing. It's hard to say it's a terrible thing, not only because you're breaking a, a, an oath you swore before another person, but more importantly you're, it's because you're breaking an oath you swore before God. We know that the Bible very clearly talks about keeping the marriage but undefiled, which is found in Hebrews 13.4. But before he keep the first legs of my sins under me, I was immediately shot down by the person who said, oh, I know a lot of Christians who have done and said filthy things. So just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're moral. I was caught off guard by that, that comment and, and simply said, I'm, I'm sorry to deal with that. There are a lot of hypocrites out there who don't represent who God truly is. In that moment, even now, my heart hurts. God is not, so, and for that person being told that, it makes, a God, it makes not only them hypocrite. Also, makes God a hypocrite, their impression of God. There's no difference between a Christian and a non Christian. Our words reveal our true nature. If this has been me, I'd like to apologize as well. Know that we are ambassadors of the Christ, and everything we say and do is perceived from an unbeliever's view as so what God condones. Everything we say is seen before the eyes of God. So if we were to post everything you or I have said this year, month, or just today on the screen behind me, what would our words reveal about us? What would be the content of our texts, emails, tweets, or other social media posts? What words would our coworkers, friends, family, and use to describe us? So do your words move people to holiness, or do they point away from God? Going back to Matthew twelve, Jesus tells the crowd that a tree is known by its fruit. Either good or bad. Jesus continues to say, How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I, Jesus speaking, tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So to summarize our first point, our words should reveal that we are a Christian. If we don't bridle our tongues, we deceive ourselves and others what it means to be a Christian. We have all had someone, to include ourselves, who has said one thing but done another. This leads us to our second point tonight, which is, Pure religion before God is seen in all we do. Widows and orphans were among the most poor and disadvantaged people in society. Without help from others, they were doomed. Therefore, James brings us to our text knowing that they need the most help from Christian brothers and sisters. The first aspect of this verse is to be taken literally. We should physically take care of orphans and widows. Some of us at the church have and are currently doing this. Other week, we heard a testimony from Dean about she helped Arlene, a widow two hours away. Arlene was moving into a assisted living facility and had to get rid of a lot of stuff. Additionally, Arlene was beginning to go blind. In order to sort through all of her stuff, Dean had to decide what she would keep, toss, or give away. Dean had to bring each item to Arlene and allow her to touch it. That's a posture for a second. Now, whether a person is a widow or a widower or not, their children or other family members should be the first to reach out to them and help them. I think it's good for children to help their parents. But if that person's children or family doesn't live close by, they don't have any family, the church should be the first to reach out and help them. This can be anything from helping out with a physically demanding project or simple as a, a call or visiting them. A simple five to ten minute phone conversation can be extremely, extremely impactful. After all, who doesn't want to be thought of, cared for, or loved? I think we should praise God how Dean was a blessing, blessing to Arlene, but as Arlene was a member of a church two hours away, it should have been that church's responsibility to take care of her. We as a church should find ways to begin help others in our church and community who can't help themselves. Additionally, there are several members who have adopted orphans, other members who are foster parents. I think there are numerous ways we as a church can care for widows and orphans in our church and community. The second aspect of this verse is is to be expanded to show hospitality and love to anyone who is in need. Buying a meal for someone who is homeless Opening up your home to someone who is in financial need or simply checking in on someone are just a few ways we can live out the verses James is telling us tonight. While I think your church does a good job of loving one another, we can always improve. The use of the DRBC Google group, the meal calendar, community groups, and others help us care for one another. I know I was personally blessed by this when I had multiple surgeries. Having people check up on me, drive me to the hospital, drive me back from the hospital, make me meals, was extremely impactful and encouraging. So I would encourage you, if you aren't already, to find ways to serve older saints in the community, in congregation, orphans, those who are underprivileged, or anyone, especially in the church, who needs help. If you don't know how to go about this, please reach out to Jeremiah Holston, who would be happy to help you. As James goes on to say in chapter 2, faith without works is dead. James states that faith in Christ should move us to good works. After all, Christ did good works. He gave sight to the blind, cleansed the leper, fed the multitudes, and most importantly, died for us. Christ is blameless before God and was our propitiation by willingly laying down his life and taking our sins upon himself. Justifying us so that all who call upon Jesus will be righteous in the sight of God. So, are you doing Threskos without usubia? Are you doing good works to make yourself feel better and get the attention of men? Or are you doing good works because you look to Christ and are moved to glorify his name? Before we move on, we should be aware of the tangible needs within our church. As we are primarily a white middle class community or congregation, it would be hard for me to imagine that we can't make financial sacrifices to advance the gospel and to help those who are in need. As you think about this, does our religion, does being a Christian move us to become compassionate? Does the pain of others matter to you? Well, with the previous comments in mind, the concluding thought of our second point is to highlight the difference between a Christian and a person who thinks they're a Christian. The end of verse 27 says, and, emphasis on the and, to keep oneself unstained from the world. We live in the reality that the world is a seductive mistress, offering pleasure to the flesh, pleasure to the eye, and pride of life. It is easy to get caught up in the here and now and forget to look up to God. I think it's good for us to examine ourselves and to know what to keep oneself unstained from the world means. Jeremiah in chapter 7 proclaims God's message to his people. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. Jeremiah is telling Judah to not deceive themselves into thinking they're safe by repeating, this is the temple of the Lord. Simply repeating words doesn't save you. Doing religious acts without without true repentance becomes meaningless, and you deceive yourself, and your religion becomes worthless. Jeremiah goes on to say in verse 5, for if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice with one another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave of old to your fathers forever. So, to keep oneself unsame from the world is not called become isolationist or live in a bunker. Christ in Matthew 28 and John 17 clearly tells us to go into the world, but it's not become of it. We will experience good and godly pleasures in this life that God has blessed us with. But we will also be faced with the choice to partake in or reject the pleasures of sin. To keep oneself unsame from the world is not to become perfect and no longer sin. None of us is able to do that. To keep oneself unsafe from the world is to turn from your sinful ways and ask God for forgiveness. When you sin, when I sin, do we actually go and repent of our sin? Or just ask for forgiveness so we can feel better about ourselves only to do that sin a couple days later? With this, we can examine ourselves and see if we're in the world or of the world. If we're in the world but not of it, we should hate our sin and seek God's help to overcome it. Now, I think there are certain sins that you and I will face, struggle with for a a lifetime. But I think it's different. I think the difference is, do you fall into sin, but seek God to overcome it? As Paul says in Romans 7 regarding sin, For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Or, on the converse side, do you run to sin without self-control? Well, as you conclude, for those of you who are listening tonight and are Christians, I encourage you to reflect on what you heard about tonight. Examine yourselves and make sure what you're saying is what you're doing. Effectively, put your money where your mouth is. Know that we are ambassadors of Christ and what we do and say is perceived from non-believers' view as what God condones. For the person who's here tonight or is listening to this sermon, but will not consider themselves, consider themselves a Christian, know that you're welcome and we're glad you're here. Whether you're dragged here or came in your own volition, you're here for a reason. We don't believe in coincidences. First off, I'd like to apologize for any Christians you have dealt with in the past who have been hypocritical or treated you poorly. If that person was me, I would like to once again apologize. You know, as a God we heard about tonight, is not a hypocritical, hypocritical God, but a God who is perfect in every way. A God who understands every trial you have or are currently going through. And most importantly, a God who didn't leave us with the way out. God gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf. Jesus was born into the world, both fully God and fully man, to live out a perfect perfect life and pleasing to God. After doing nothing wrong, Jesus willingly gave himself up and died on the cross on our behalf. But it didn't end there. Jesus rose from the grave three days later, Defeating sin and death once and for all. He took his sins from us, all who repent, believe, and call upon his name for forgiveness. If tonight you have heard anything that you would like to discuss or like to know what being a Christian is all about, please, re- please speak to me or any of our members around here. Before we pray, I just want to once again encourage the congregation to reflect on what you heard tonight. As we go out into the workplace or school, look for ways you can show people the gospel. Go out of your way to help someone to love someone and to make the name of Christ known to someone. And remember, by not watching our tongues, we let our careless actions or, or words destroy our witness. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, just for your, for your grace that is sufficient for us, Lord, for your death to just yeah, be sufficient for us. I pray that we would be Christians who represent you well, Lord that through our actions and deeds, others would come to know who you are and would be brought to the saving grace of your name. Yes, I just pray as we go out to the work week and school that we would just represent you well. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.